weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies for the afternoon entertainment. It is Monday, November 13th. St. Pat's woke up as FEI Cup champions and you're listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Welsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Conan Byrne and Alan Colley will reflect on a record-breaking FAI Cup final and of course what of its promotion to the Premier Stephen Kelly will also be joining the Association Football Chat because there was plenty of drama across the water over the weekend and there was plenty of drama in the URC as well so Shane Byrne will review all the highlights from Connacht's heartbreak to Ulster's resilience and plenty more besides it and it was an historic day for Irish basketball as well as the women's national side hosted France and Tala we'll hear from Jessica Scanlon and head coach James Weldon and we'll wrap up the sports news headlines as always if you want to have your say drop us a text on 51552 Game on on 2FM Good evening, Ruby Welsh. Good evening, Alan Kiley. We have a couple of news headlines, but first, how are you both? Keeping well? I'm good, Shane. Good, good. Ruby, all good? Yeah, good, Shane. Not a bother me. Good, good, good. Um, okay, we will be chatting football in due course, but first, uh, news headlines. Uh, there was plenty of transfer activity. J.R. Wilson has joined Sligo Rovers from Shells. Finley Bealham was part of the Connacht squad for their trip to South Africa. Mac Hansen and Bundy Aki are ruled out. Mark Allen had a victory over Jimmy White with four frames to one in the first group semi-final at the Champion Champions event uh, in snooker in Bolton today um, but horse racing uh, Ruby and after a narrow defeat of the grade one Ladbrook chase on Saturday Henry de Bromhead's envoy Allen is poised for an outing at Leopardstown over Christmas a run in the three mile Savile chase on December 28 could now be the next competitive outing for the nine year old after de Bromhead said that aside from the narrow defeat in Down Royal he could not have been happier uh, with his performance elsewhere Fairy House racing scheduled for tomorrow has been postponed this is due to a waterlogged track it also puts off the chasing debut of Willie Mullins exciting prospect a Gaelic warrior uh, which is unfortunate news I mentioned Down Royal uh, in that uh, piece there Ruby uh, it was uh, a good weekend for Gordon Elliott oh magic weekend for Gordon Elliott I mean it started on Thursday with a treble at Clonmel 6 from 7 on Friday in the north and 5 from 7 on Saturday I mean what a as well as 2 winners in Goran Park so about 16 winners in a 3 day period uh, what form his stable are in and all his staff must have thoroughly enjoyed it along with his owners um, Jerry Colomb was obviously the highlight for them beating Envoy Allen in the Labrooks Champion Chase and it was a brilliant race there may only have been four runners but it was it was thrilling minute stuff as they headed down down the straight conflated Jerry Colomb and Envoy Allen I thought Envoy Allen was going to win Rachel Blackmore gave him a brilliant ride but Jack Kennedy somehow managed to pull it out of the fire on Jerry Colomb and got up in the shadows of the post Plenty of excitement uh, in Down Royal. Uh, good news for flat racing because Aidan O'Brien is excited by the prospect of training August Rodin as a four-year-old after he confirmed the dual derby and Breeders' Cup winner is sustained training following his exploits as Santa Anita in the Breeders' Cup turf. Many expected the deep impact cult would head off the stud given how valuable he would be as a son of the great Japanese stallion. Uh, Surprising news, Ruby? Yeah, and a lot of lot of talk that he was actually going to go to Japan to stand at stud uh, as soon as his father, Deep Impact, was such a success there. And he's had, obviously, Deep Impact has had a huge influence on European racing as well. But that was all the rumour that he was heading off to Japan. But it's great that he stayed in training because I suppose where flat racing lags behind jumping is for the public to be able to associate and get behind a horse and when they head off the stud after just two years it can be hard for people to build a rapport with them or, or for horses to get a following so uh, I think it's great for flat racing that the, everybody in Coolmore has decided to keep this fella in train and he would definitely earn more money at stud than he's ever going to earn as a racehorse but it's great that they're leaving him in train and that only helps promote the sport chain which is 
vitally important. Mm. We were having that conversation, I think, about the, the industry side of things and, and the sports yeah, side of things. Yeah, it is. So it's, it is it's, yeah, look, obviously the industry is where the money is and there needs to be an industry behind the sport, but ultimately the sport is... Uh, Without the sport, there's no need for the industry. So they kind of run side by side, and it's everyone's responsibility that they one backs up the other, I guess. Um, Our final bit of of racing news, and it's it's very tough. Um, The Graham Lee injury, uh, Ruby. I I know you you, you'd know the jockey himself. He suffered suffered a horrific fall um, at Newcastle on on Friday. Yeah, I, I knew him very well when I was riding in the UK. I used to stay a lot with Anthony McCoy and. Graham was based in the north of England. He stayed there quite a bit as well, so I know him very well. Um, he's from Galway. He's 47 years of age. He'd actually gone back riding on the flat. He won a Grand National in Amberley House in 2004, and he'd made a successful transition back to to riding on the flat. He won the Ascot Gold Cup and trip to Paris. He won a Nuntorp in York in 2018 aboard Alpha Delphini. And I mean to... It's some record or some CV to have to win a, a five furlong group one in in York, the Nuntorp, and be a Grand National winning jockey over four and a half miles. It's mm. rugby league versus rugby union. It's football and, and hurling. It's it's you know it's it's transgression both sides of any sport. But um, sadly, he had a had pretty simple fall on Friday night at Newcastle coming out of the stalls. But he has suffered a cervical fracture in his neck. Um, there is some damage to his spinal cord, but. Um, look, it's just how much of a recovery Graham makes, how long that takes, and you know, obviously our best wishes are with his family, both in Galway and in North of England, to his bike wife Becky and both his children. But um, yeah, tough time for them. But look, the injured jockeys fund are right behind him in the UK. They'll do all they can for him. It's just how kind God is going to be to him. Okay, well our thoughts and prayers certainly go to um, Graham himself, uh, his friends, family, uh, and everyone associated uh, in the sport um, as well at this uh, difficult time. Game on. Football. Um, okay, we are going to chat football now. Alan Carley is in studio. Uh, Conan Byrne is also on the line as well. Alan and Conan, uh, we were all there at the uh, record-breaking FAI Cup final. So 43,881 spectators, the ninth highest cup final attendance in all of Europe better than the Netherlands only England, France, Germany Italy, Spain, Russia Scotland and Poland You need to name them all out Shane I'm just, nine, nine sounded better Trying to emphasise all these these big countries these big nations but the League of Ireland uh, this typifies the growth we were mentioning it on Friday what a special occasion and a cracker of a match Alan Colley Yeah absolutely brilliant occasion Shane they're all brilliant occasions but this one was that extra bit special as you say because of the record attendance I never thought I'd see in my lifetime that we'd be nearly selling out the Aviva um, but as you rightly say there in your intro in terms of the appetite that's there for the game now the attendances have been on such an upward surge since Covid really all the grounds you could go across the League of Ireland and they're all up all the attendances uh, right across the board but then for a showpiece day to get a crowd as big as we did and we were lucky with the weather as well it, it just lent itself to a fantastic occasion and sometimes then when you have the occasion Shane you're just hoping that the match can live up to it as well mm. and I think the early goal helped us in that regard and we did get a very good game as well very exciting sometimes the cup finals I've covered a lot of them in recent times and, and they can be cagey affairs like most cup finals around places but the fact that we got the early goal uh, I think that helped the game as well mm. and both sides had a right goal and, and I thought it was a really good game and probably deserving winners on the day in St. Pat's I thought both were very good in the first half and um, 
conceded a soft goal from the set piece and it was a brilliant ball by Jake Mulraney I'm sure we'll get into all that but the second half St. Pat's obviously whatever John Daly had said to them at half time mm. he knew they had to improve and they did improve and when their second goal came early in that second half they were well on top at that stage and they never really looked like relinquishing that lead I know Flores had the shot um, the free kick to hit the post and Afalabi had a half chance he probably should have hit the target with other than that they didn't really have a save to make um, yeah Pats and I thought they managed the game quite well Conan would you agree with Alan Cawley that Pats were the better winners Bowes were good in the first half did you see it pretty much the same way yeah I did I did um, like just touching on what Alan said like the occasion itself was just absolutely f- phenomenal um, and being a spectator on the day uh, usually at the last couple, few cup finals I've been working at them so to be able to just take it all in and embrace the occasion and the mood outside the ground and obviously in 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 the actual arena itself it was just a absolutely special day and great to be part of but yeah I thought I, I sensed that Bowes would, would, would start in the front foot and it's exactly what they did they got an early goal and it was just important that they tried to hold on to that lead for as long as possible because Pats do have a have a habit of, of scoring from set plays this season they're the best record in the league um, and it just didn't turn out that way for, for Bowes they, they relinquished the, their 1-0 lead after only 23 minutes by Mulraney's fantastic ball in and Mark Doyle doing what he's been doing over the last month six weeks getting on the end of deliveries into the box and um, he's making a, a, such a habit of them and he scored in the semi-final he scored down in, uh, against Cork um, and then scoring, scoring in the final and yeah I'd, I just thought it was only one winner um, after that I know Bowes did okay for the remainder of the half but once it went in at half time it won all I only saw one winner I've seen these two teams play over the over the course of the season and it played out exactly like the other games in the sense that Bowes had the majority of the possession they passed the ball around they had more passes in the game than St. Pat's but Pat's are so comfortable without the ball um, they never looked Bowes never looked really that dangerous you know, Danny Grant in the opening 10-15 minutes did, did really well going really direct at Sam Curtis um, and even put him on his backside at one stage and you're thinking Jesus is this going to be a, a, a day for Danny Grant to to to, to shine but unfortunately it didn't work out that way Sam Curtis got a hold of him and knew exactly what he was going to do um, and it was just a, a case of Pats being the better team their their players are better and they just had the ability to see the game out once they got they took the lead in the, in the opening stages of the second half and, and like Alan said there they just didn't look like re- relinquishing it um, and to top it all off then their substitutions being so young coming through the academy it's just a, a great pathway and it's great for the League of Ireland and other countries around Europe to see that, that that there's players there at 16 coming on to the biggest stage of a domestic football here in Ireland and putting in a, a display like Mason Melia did and, and others as well Adam Murphy came on he's only 18 and um, it was just a, a phenomenal day for domestic football Alan on, on Friday we, we were kind of thinking that, that the experience that, that Bose had might, might, might shine through mm. will, will Bose be coming away with that match with a lot of regret and like I know it clicked for Pats but not that they didn't show up Pats, Pats outplayed them I suppose but Bowes could have performed better I thought Bowes were okay in the first half Shane they were fine they played very well started the game well uh, what they'll be most disappointed is the concession of the two goals from set pieces now John Delaney obviously or John, John Daly, Daly. <laughs> John Daly spoke after the match about um, the amount of time and effort that they put into their set pieces and the work uh, really heavily on yeah. them and as Conan says they've, they've scored the most from set pieces it, it wasn't a, sorry it wasn't a Sean o- he, he credited Sean O'Connor from a Bosnian 
third division and Bolivia or so, somewhere wild Korea. like this. Korea, Korea coded. That's that's where he was getting the, the tactics from. Yeah, well, look, where, wherever you can dip into to get that extra 1% is to say, but it's all good and well working on the set pieces. You have to have someone who can deliver them then. And to be mm. fair to Jake Mulraney, put in two unbelievable crosses, um, obviously for the first goal, but Bose should have defended that as well. Uh, that's poor on their part and that's been an Achilles heel for them all season particularly defensively they're very very weak and I was worried about them defensively when you look at the two Polish lads who were playing on the right hand mm. side the right full and the right side at centre half Novak no experience in the league really young Kean Byrne had to come in obviously stepped in for Radkowski I wouldn't hold any blame to him he's only a young kid starting off in his career and you were playing a midfielder Jordan Flores at left full mm. so it was a, it was almost uh, a vulnerable back four if you like Shane and I've, obviously Pats would have felt they could get at them uh, but it was the set pieces that was the undoing for, for Bose and brilliant deliveries even the second one though we highlighted yesterday on the telly as well even though it looks like Novak is running back towards his own goal and, and he's unfortunate he's not he actually s- switched off for a split second right on the edge of the box before the ball comes in and he takes his eye off Redmond and Redmond gets that split second one yard on him and he has the advantage and it's a foot race then and the panic sets in for Novak because he knows if he doesn't do anything and just leaves a go it'll fall to Redmond and he'll put it into the net mm. and the fact that he's facing his own goal he kicks it in and people might say oh well, he was unfortunate with the OG he switches off on the edge of the box and he lets Redmond get the run on him so that was poor on his part as well and that's where you said will they have regret they'll absolutely every team will have regret after you lose a match particularly a cup final but particularly in that because going forward they're fine obviously Abfilabi scores the goals Clark I thought Jamie Lennon deserves a mention as well I know he got man of the match but he was outstanding because that was an area I was worried about with the fact that he would have had to do so much work Jamie Lennon because Forrester is so attack minded Keane Levy is so attack minded mm-hmm. and the wide open spaces in the Aviva as well and James Clark is very good at covering the ground I just felt that Lennon would have a job and had a, have a lot to do he did have a lot to do but he dealt with it so well I thought he was outstanding for again a young kid he's, I think he's 25 now Jamie uh, but as the years are progressing he's getting a far better understanding of that role and that position and I thought he was brilliant on the day as well Conan, how much credit um, must go to this Pats management team? I saw you had a tweet of Alan Matthews, 20 years to the day since lifting the FEI Cup at Lansdowne Road for Longford. So four uh, Cup winners medals as a manager. Uh, I'm reliably informed that I think it's seven out of nine, both as a, as a player and a manager uh, for Alan Matthews. But even the job John Daly's done uh, coming in from Tim Clancy, but even credit to Tim Clancy as well, because that's a man who, who brought Redmond and, and Doyle into the club. Yeah, absolutely. You have to you have to give credit to Tim Clancy at the start of the season. That's the team that he had, and um, that's the players that he brought in. And John Daly obviously utilised that to to good effect when when Tim Clancy stepped aside. And um, yeah, he's done he's done great. And what I liked about him is that he's trusting the young players. Like you're taking off Chris Forrester, you're taking off Jake Mulraney, you're taking off Mark Doyle. These are players that have experience, and you're bringing them on with young teenage players that have that ability and there's a lot of managers in an FAI Cup final or in any Cup final that would be not brave enough to do that and he's in fairness to John Daly he credited Anto Breslin at, at, at the end of the game saying look I want to wait for Mason Meal and he's like why, why wait he's good enough and um, it's it's not a direct, um, a dictatorship in that dressing room do you know it's all about the team it's all about everyone has a voice um, that's what he's brought to the setup, and it's 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 paying it back in spades. Like you have the you, the camaraderie within the, within the group is is evident, judging from the celebrations. Um, and even the squad selections is was what what I really liked about it. And Keane Levy has bundles and bundles of energy in that midfield. And like Alan said, you have Jamie Lennon that will sit there and he's 
he's so disciplined in that role and um, doesn't get enough credit for the for the for the for the role that he's played for Pats over the last number of years. Remember, he's won, he's won the FAI Cup uh, in that position as well two years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's it's John Daly deserves, deserves a lot of credit because there was people saying, muttering, mutterings when Tim Clancy left that he should go with him because he was his assistant, but it just proves that he, he saw the potential within this group. He felt that he could get the best out of them. And he has. He's, he's brought them to, to Europe through the league and now he's won an FAI Cup. And now the, the task in hand is that they had a really poor European run this year and they're going to have to try and face off against Shamrock Rovers in the league. And that's the challenge now for John Daly and it's important now. He's probably going to lose a couple of players. That recruitment is going to be key. Um, and um, judging by his CV and where he's played, he's be able to look not just in Ireland but across across the water and get those potential players to, to come into St. Pat's and, and put in a real title challenge because that's going to be the aim now. Alan, how does the league maximise on yesterday's occasion? Full or almost full house at the Aviva, the crowd, the atmosphere, the noise. I mean, for younger people sitting at home watching it, it's the kind of game you want to be involved in. It's inspirational. Can that event yesterday inspire more kids, young fellas came on for St. Pat's to stay in the League of Ireland? How yeah. do they make that happen? Yeah, I think that's the big challenge for them now, Ruby, but it's something that um, it was already there for people to challenge themselves with before this occasion. And I think with the attendances, to be fair, across the board at all the clubs, they are on the up. So to make that argument when you're obviously lobbying for government funding because that's what it's going to take in terms of uh, investment into the game into facilities in, into infrastructure for the clubs around the country your argument you're in a far stronger position now to be going to the government and lobbying off the back of an occasion like that off the back of the fact as you say what it's bringing in terms of the local communities the young kids the opportunities that it's offering for them as well seeing a pathway through the academy structures on up into the senior teams and eventually into our national team and that has to be the bigger picture thinking and the foresight that has to be involved here. It's not just a case of, oh, we plant a, a stadium in Inchicore and that's it. You have to be thinking there's a reason we're putting a stadium in Inchicore or we're putting one in Talca Park or we're putting it uh, one in Cork or wherever the case may be around the country because it's for the bigger picture thinking in terms of what that may bring for the development of the game. And that's what's been sadly lacking here for so long, Ruby. And that's why we're crying out for it now. And it's not the case of, oh, the League of Ireland fans are, the, are playing the victim again. It's been neglected for so long that it's, that it's been so infuriating for the likes of us who love the game that now we're in a position where people can actually reach out and touch and see the potential that's there when you look at an occasion like that with over 40,000 people at the game and it wasn't just a one-off thing yesterday that that was the crowd as I mentioned I think since 2016 John O'Connor if I'm right had a tweet up the other day about stats and it was 126% of an upsurge uh, in attendances across the board in the league so the stats speak for themselves Ruby but in terms of where it needs to go as I said the lobbying to the government now uh, for people to get behind the game money like every sport every every sport needs money everything needs investment uh, but we're in a far better stronger position to go looking for that investment I feel Just on that I think that's why it's so so important and I know I made this point with, on, on Friday with Kenny as well about the reforms in the FEI that need to be there in order to get those government grants be it large scale uh, sports infrastructure grants capital grants as well we see Wexford FC today um, looking to leave Ferry Carrick Park <clears throat> with plans for a game changing 6,000 capacity stadium in Wexford Town because you need to be in those central hubs we seen what Monaghan United mm. did when, when the ground was out in Gortic, uh, Keegan and stuff like that, that they're not there, they don't have the infrastructure and everything else that you mentioned as well. So I think that's why if, if, if we do want to continue this growth as mm. well, 
that that has to happen. The reforms have to happen for the funding to come. And we're hearing that now, Shane, as you said, that story with Wexford. I know there's big plans in Sligo. So we're hearing it around the country now mm. in terms of these things happening and conversations taking place. So people have to row in behind that in terms of... Um, the governance of the game and we don't need stories like we've seen again last week in terms of the FEI trying to obviously um, align themselves with the government in terms of the money that they need yeah. they need to have their house in order as well and not, mm. not, not the couple of negative stories that we read about last week as well because we want the game to develop we want the game to improve it is on a, on a, a good footing at the moment in terms of where it can go and the potential and as I said it's been neglected for so so long I've been in here banging the drum for the last 10 years about it and here we are finally in a position Shane that I feel there is the potential to go somewhere with this So then Conan is is it important that Waterford got back into the Premier League to make it more of an All-Ireland competition not up one coast and across the top for the want of a better way of putting it yeah, I see what you mean. It was either going to be Waterford or Cork, so it's, it would have been kind of an All-Ireland feel to it more so if either one had a won. Like, you're seeing, obviously, with UCD going down, and no disrespect to UCD, they don't bring a big crowd. It's another Dublin team, so you'll see next year crowds will be increasing again because of for that reason, and it's because UCD are gone. But you'd like to see, like, the, the other... The, like the attendance even going further. Now I know Shamrock Rovers' new stadium, is, new stand is going to be built, so there's a possibility of having 10,000 people in Tallaght, which is remarkable, that you could still fill out Daily Mount twice over. You have Tolka, um, Tolka Park, that needs um, redevelopment, and, and I know there's big work and big plans in place there. We need redevelopment at Oriel Park, we need development redevelopment at, at Weavers Park and Drada. So there's redevelopment needed right around the country and it's important now and this is the time to, to I, I mentioned it last night on a tweet that I put out is to get onto your local politicians mm-hmm. in those areas and demand change and demand investment in, in, in football and it's not just about League of Ireland grounds it's about grassroots like the amount of games in September that have been called off because of the weather because there's no facility for for boys and girls young boys and girls to play the play the game that everyone loves and it's it's just not on anymore and we need to start putting it out there that we can't we won't stand for it because the game is too big it's getting getting too big for for us and we need we need help and we need investment and we need to push that from from grassroots right through to to international football but alan with the premier league gone so international mm. it's not a grassroots for irish players anymore it's so hard for them to get a game there surely it should be easier to keep the talent here talent brings crowds brings spectators brings money as well not alone that as well Ruby in terms of the game across the water the days of us seeing players playing with Man City and Man United and Liverpool they're long gone so that's all, what I mean yeah, so, so all the more them here young talent brings people to watch that brings money but all the more reason then to obviously develop the facilities and the infrastructure here because we the, the responsibility is on us now to develop them when I went to England at 16 like so many others and hundreds of thousands of kids like me that went away uh, the, the development was passed on to the English clubs if you like and it was almost a case of well we can sit back now and they'll finish off the development and those lads if they're good enough will go on and play for Ireland whereas now our future internationals you might have been watching a couple of them yesterday Ruby that's the reality of it you could go to an under 13 um, National League game now Shelburne against Bohemians and there'll be a future international playing in that that's the reality of the situation we have now young Mace Amelia who's only 16 came on yesterday in the cup final there's a load of clubs after him but he's a, he's potentially a future international and he needs to be developed properly here now but all that needs proper facilities proper infrastructure like we keep calling for and as I said, I've been banging this drum 10 years. I was talking about facilities and stadiums 10 years ago. And here we are, finally in a position where I think we can actually 
have a fair argument when asking for it uh, and, on, and, and, and a strong argument when we ask for it but that's what's holding us back at the moment those two clubs that played in that final yesterday they're getting crowds at the moment I think an average of 4,000 they'd be getting 7 and 8 uh, definitely Bohemians I know that for a fact if they had the, the, the stadium to cater for it at the moment unfortunately they don't mm. the redevelopment is going on at the moment but you could be getting 7 and 8 thousand into the grounds every week and, and it would be phenomenal uh, if that's the case and that is a realistic target that's not pie in the sky stuff that is within touch and distance I feel if we have the facilities to cater for it yeah absolutely absolutely we have to move on to talk Premier League Cohen, just in 20 seconds or less is this the most enthused you are about the League of Ireland Mm, um, 20 seconds or less uh, yes and yes and no yes because of the, the the potential that it has and the potential that we've seen over the last number of number of weeks months and last two three years no because the facilities are still not up to scratch and they need to be done ASAP okay no, that's fair that's fair in a nutshell thank you very much Colin Barnes <laughs> Stephen Kelly's on the line as well how enthused are you about the Premier League 12 weeks gone international break coming thanks it's all up in the air yeah enthused Good. <laughs> There's loads of words going through my head at this, after this week we've had with Spurs, but uh, in the, in the, as a whole, it's been it's been entertaining. That's what it is. It's been so entertaining. Listen, the lads are talking about the League of Ireland. Delighted to hear the game. Pat's John Daly, old teammate of mine, and Damien Duff in, in um, European football. So delighted for that as well. Oh. But you go across the water. <laughs> the, yeah, there you go. I had to give you that um, Don't get him started. Steven. No, no, no. I was trying. I was listening. I thought this this could just be a, a Shelburne show. Is that what I'm going to talk about in the house? No, no, Stephen. It's grand. It's not like I'm going to play this for the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Very good. But no, it's been yeah, pretty, it's 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 amazing for the league. I'm delighted for the for the lads. I said John and 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 Damien, and two old teammates of mine. So delighted for them. But um, across the water, it's just been it's been thrilling. It really has. We're not that far into the season, and every week throws up another game that you don't think is possible. And the level of quality and the goals that have been scored are phenomenal. So yeah, it's been it's been brilliant to watch. Alan, yesterday City Chelsea. I mean, where else do you start? Four apiece, but. To me, it's what makes you want to watch soccer because you hadn't a clue what was going to happen. Mm. It was just, it was entertaining. You might tell me it wasn't the greatest game of soccer in the world, but it was pure. Ah, it was one of the greatest Premier League matches ever, mm. surely. Yeah, well, I was too busy in the Aviva to see any of <laughs> Man City and Chelsea, but I saw some of the highlights last night. Um, yeah, you're right, Ruby. That's what you want for all games. Um, I didn't see the full 90 minutes, so I'm not sure in terms of the quality, uh, how good it was, but um, give me a four all. With rubbish quality any day that's what you want you want to see loads of goals you want to see uh, excitement entertainment that's what we, why we love the game that's why VAR has been ruining the game for so many of us because it's almost taken those joyous moments out of it um, over the last wee while but a for all yeah it sounded like a cracker I will catch up on watching the full 90 minutes but unfortunately I was too busy with uh, Pats I, 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 I did love Peter Drury's line at the end of City's boy is Chelsea's man well Cole Palmer's yeah. an outstanding yeah. player he really is and um the interesting thing now people are saying have they missed a trick in getting rid of him I don't think like I don't think they've missed a trick it was a case of maybe he wasn't going to play every week the young lad and I don't think Guardiola could guarantee him that he would have played every week when you have Foden and Bernardo Silva ahead of him so I think to be fair to Cole Palmer he was brave enough to get out um, and go to a club where he feels as though he will play and he's becoming a main man for them as well and he had his moment when he obviously got the penalty laid on uh, but he's a fantastic talent and he was already scoring at the start of the season with Man City he scored in I think the Super Cup or one of those games earlier on in the season before he made the move and I suppose that was the crossroads that he was at feelings though will I stick around and try and force me way in or do I get out and play and he's getting out and playing and he's reaping the rewards for it 
Absolutely. Are, are Chelsea becoming must watch? Uh, already, Stephen, or is that too? Is that hyperbole? Where, where's your clip? I, I don't. We don't <laughs> have it. We said, we said we'd give you a week off just because they, they got a point this week, so we give you a week off. I, I had to remove that clip to play the the conference oh, league right. team tune, Stephen. So you got off. That's why. Right. Again, like I said, I told you they will have an influence on that top four. It's just, it's just their. They have outstanding players, they really do. And they've got an outstanding manager. I know he hasn't hit the ground running yet, but they do have an outstanding manager. So you, you think about when they get everybody fit and they, they will have an impact. They're, they're just a very good side. You with us, Stephen? No. Stephen's gone. Stephen's Alan's gone for the moment. Alan, there, you're yes. on you're on Premier League we're, duty, so we're, we're, we're a third of the way we're a third of the way in, Alan, and Liverpool are still hanging in there. Mm. And I think they're going to be City's biggest rivals. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, disagree on that, Ruby. I always felt a lot of the talk before the season was that obviously Arsenal are going to be the main challengers. I tipped Arsenal, but I also thought that Liverpool would be. I didn't think it was a two horse race. I thought Liverpool would be somewhere in the mix, and that's the way it's playing out at the moment because purely because of their attack and talent it's absolutely frightening when you have uh, the players that they have at the top end of the pitch and I know Salah gets all the headlines but Darwin Nunes is somebody that's really kind of come into his own in the last few weeks and almost feels as though he's finally becoming that player that they wanted him to become Um and I think he's going to have a huge impact going forward as well. I also think they're recruited very well in those midfield areas. Top quality players come in uh, and almost re-energise that midfield area that needed that. And yeah, 100% Ruby, I think they are going to be in the mix purely because how do, how do you stop the attacking three or four that they have? It's frightening at the top end of the pitch, the, the quality they have. It looks that way too. Stephen Arsenal, they were look had an easy enough win on Saturday against Burnley who are rock bottom. But what about Spurs? What? How have the wheels just fallen off the bike? Ah, it's a week. It's a week. It's not. <laughs> come on, Ruby. Come on. Uh, no, the, the wheels have hardly fallen I, off. I, I, I think, said they're fairly happy for the brakes to be coming on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Wolves. They were one up against know, Wolves, and in six no. minutes they just threw it all away. Like Stephen's not having yeah, it. Stephen's not having it. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'll, 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 the, the criminal defending, which is the word I used before, and I'm not sure if I got cut off, and it was at times just the poor. Poor management of the of the game time, runners in between. And listen, you know games are going on for going on for ten minutes out over extra time, and you have to have your wits about you. You have to have your concentration levels. But you know, I know this, there's injuries in every team, and you can't make excuses. But Van de Ven being out, he has been sensational. Madison being out, Romero being out. You know, Tottenham can't afford for those players to be missing because they just don't have the squad depth to compete with the top levels that there they'll compete if those players are not there they can't and that's that's the difference and um, they'll play a great trial football it'd be attractive it'd be fun to watch they'll score goals but they'll 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 get caught at times because they just don't have the cover with those players missing um, but yeah it was, it was a really disappointing loss especially in the fashion of it in the last few minutes of the game the madness Ruby came last week the Chelsea match because Romero yeah. what, what he was thinking that little 10 minute period mm. Adogi as well the tackle um, then he gets himself sent off after that as well when he should have been well warned having already picked up the yellow um, so that's where the madness happened then you pick up the injury to Madison and as Stephen said those three are their three best players this season Romero, Van de Veen mm. and Madison and Son as well but uh, you, you just because they don't have the depth yet and I think the depth will come the longer Postacoglu is there but because he's only in the door they only have the strong 11 or 12 at the moment he hasn't been had time to get the ones out that maybe he wants to get out the likes of Dyer Ben Davis they would never be playing in a million years this year only for Van de Veen or Romero or injured so I think Spurs are in a really really brilliant position still uh, they were never going to win a league but 
that's that's basically what happened to him on Saturday is that three or four key players so missing we'll, and we'll, just... we'll, we'll summarise this there could be three points clear at the top instead they're three points behind <laughs> half the players are injured and the wheels are still on the bike well one wheel is still on the bike <laughs> the, the stabilisers one wheel's on the stabilisers are on yeah there's a wheel on they've got a puncture they've got a puncture let's put it that way I posed the question to Kenny Cunning was on Friday I said is Luton at home the best fixture for a club in crisis and then United go and win a match, and they're their most informed team in the league. Alan Carley. I mean, like who United? Yeah, they're, they're, they're informed. It's, no, they like they're they're the that's well, statistically correct. Well, they've played. If you're basing it on their last three games, is it Sheffield United? Based on wins, Brentford, they're, they're winning matches and, despite yeah, everything. And Luton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, as you say, if that's the stats, you can't argue with stats. Do you know how many points they are behind, Al? Oh yeah, I do. But the, like. Yeah, but this isn't a Man United team that has prospects of winning the league, no? It's not, but what's I tell you about the rest? That United are playing so bad and they're only seven points behind. They're playing so bad that the informed team in the league. I think it's good though because everybody thought City would run away with it this year and I said that we'd have a far more competitive top end, three or four teams and they're all capable of beating each other and I think that's what we're seeing as well. So it's glad I'm glad that City are not running away with it and maybe there is those results where they're taking points off each other and, and you almost feel as though there's still three or four teams that are in it. Um, I'd even throw Newcastle into the mix and what's killing Newcastle at the moment, Ruby, is again the injuries and trying Squad. to trying to compete mm. with the Champions League and the league and the way they play as well it's so kind of aggressive in how they want to get in your face and that high press and that energy game to play with that they're just they looked they, they looked absolutely shattered against Bournemouth on Saturday I couldn't believe it it was like watching a different team from the Newcastle that we're so used to seeing over the last 18 months they're looking for a few missing wheels as well that's yeah, again, Dave, Dave, just a puncture as well. What about Brighton? Well. Brighton then? How many chances did they miss at the weekend? They did miss a lot of chances, yeah. And, uh, you know, I suppose we're so so quick to praise them, so quick to put them on, you know, high level, what the performance and, yeah, the chance they missed, not great. They're, they're a team, though, you, you do feel that they'll, they're, they're still going to, again, have it, have it, have a say on the season have a say in the league have a say in the position because they, they will have form they've got a really great again it's a starting 11 they don't have loads of depth but when they have those front, those those players in form getting Evan Ferguson in the inside Welbeck is going to be hit and miss he's not going to be scoring loads of goals throughout the season but he has he has moments where he performs um, but for them it's just it's just a matter of finding form again and they're a very good side they're really capable of beating anybody really but yeah they're not, not in great form Oh, and we've lost Stephen, Stephen again. The Gremlins again. are back. Well, we're going to have to take a break anyway. We're going to end our football chat there. I was going to pose a question to the floor. Thiago Silva is the fourth eldest player to score, oldest player, I should say, in the Premier League. Who are the three ahead of him? Anyone know? Giggs. Giggs, correct. Two Teddy others. Sheringham. Teddy Sheringham, yes, correct. That's a good one. one. One more, one more. Uh, we've 20 seconds before we need to take a break. Ruby, any guesses? I was going to ask Stephen Kelly, but we've lost him. We, we thank Stephen Kelly for his time. Sheer hardly. The no. Canio. No. no. Sheringham. We, yeah, might, we, might have, we, we might have in, Stephen was Kelly was back. He's in Sweden. To, Swedish fella. Abramovich. No, Les Ferdinand? Les Ferdinand. No, Stephen, not Les Ferdinand. We're going to have to take a break. Oh. Not a Swedish fella, not a Scandinavian fella. Right. Not <laughs> Danny Vimrich, no. No. It is. So Teddy Sheringham was first, Giggs was third, Thiago Silva was fourth, and in second place, Dean Windass. Oh, I never would have got that. Who? Dean, Dean no. Windass, one of the greats. <laughs> one of the greats. <laughs> one of the greats. <laughs> <laughs> check, out, check out his volley in the championship Brilliant. final, one of the best ever. There you go, there's your homework. Okay, Alan Colley, Stephen Kelly, and indeed Conan Byrne, thank you all very much for chatting football. We are going to take a short break and then we're going to chat rugby in the company of Shane Byrne. Game on. On 
Welcome back to Game On. So last weekend was week four of the United Rugby Championship, which saw some of the Irish internationals roll back into action. And Shane Byrne joins us on the line. Shane, safe to say they had the biggest influence on Leinster's performance, I would think. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, led by example all the way, uh, Dan Sheehan captaining the side for the first time. And uh, it took him a short amount of space that he scored the first try. And they just went on a roll from there. Uh, Newport, again, are just in no shape. The Dragons, they're just in no shape at all. Set piece, let them down. Discipline, let them down. Everything that you could possibly think of wasn't working out from at all. And Leinster just were very, very clinical. And uh, Ross Byrne, I have to say, orchestrated the game fantastically. He, he was superb controlling right the way throughout the game and uh, but yeah massive massive influence on the game with the guys con- continuing but again there's not much to talk about unfortunately because Dragons just weren't up for it they weren't but isn't Dan Sheen something else to watch I mean he plays like a winger a centre wing forward yet he's playing hooker yeah it's incredible isn't it and uh, you know and he has the, the competition that he has as well with Kelleher is just the two of them are identical in so many ways but Sheen seems to have the nose ahead at the moment particularly after the World Cup he's a fantastic player and now to see him being given that leadership role as well I think it, it'll sit very easy on his shoulders It looked like it will Connacht were obviously in Edinburgh and it was a former Irishman who put the final oh. nail in their coffin Oh, listen, heartbreaking stuff. <laughs> Actually, it, it was it was an odd game. Edinburgh got going. They scored a fantastic try early enough in the game. But then Munster, were re, or sorry, Connacht were in charge for the whole swathe of the game going into the right the way towards into the second half. And they just couldn't get the scoreboard going. But then they eventually get it going and they fight their way all the way back to 22 all with, I think, two minutes or three minutes to go. And then Healy comes up and takes the drop kick to uh, to to steal the points and uh, the glory from because Connacht were going were unbeaten to this point in the in the league so they were going superbly trying to have the best start they've had in a long long time in the URC and uh, unfortunately wasn't to be in this one an absolute dynamite game to watch from both sides particularly the way that Connacht fought them themselves back into position. But unfortunately, just came up short right at the end by fellow Irishman Ben Healy. Yeah, probably the game of the weekend. And as you mentioned there, looking yeah. for four wins in a row for the first time since 2002. They now face a difficult trip to South Africa after such a good start. How difficult will it be for them now to kind of pick themselves up uh, heading to South Africa? Very hard. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And particularly, there's, um, I think there's a, there's a bit of injury news coming along, isn't there? That uh, no, Mac Bundyaki Hansen and no Mac yeah. Hansen, yeah. yeah, might be able to travel, and that's a big blow because uh, you know Connacht they've had they've had a kind of mixed bag down there. They've had good success on the road in South Africa as well. South Africa, pretty much all the teams across the board had a bad weekend. Really, very few of the South African sides were any success, and um, you know it's a hard place to go to do the couple of weeks down there. And Connacht would want to have, you know, their full squad and then their all the experience. And to have the two guys missing is going to be, uh, yeah, they'd certainly be missed. 
It will be. They most certainly will. They're still lying in fifth in the table. Four played, three won, and a total of 14 points. Leinster and the Bulls are joined top on 15 with Glasgow Warriors. But Monster or Ulster Monster was the first interprovincial or the interprovincial at the week- weekend. Monster got off to a flyer, but the Ulster defence never gave them a sniff after that, did they? It was incredible. It it, it really was. And um, when you get to the stage... Uh, you know, talking about the experience. Now, this is going to be one of the talking points. The coach, Graham Rowntree, didn't bring back really any of the, the main internationals, no no Tyg Byrne, no Peter O'Mahony, whereas Ulster did. Ulster brought their big ones back, Herring and uh, Ian Henderson, and they had a massive effect on the game. Uh, they Munster got going up, up and early, quick into the game, uh, through Maul and a very, very strong attack and play. They got over for two tries. Then Ulster started to fight back. Importantly, they scored just before half time, which put them in a good position coming into the second half. But it was the role of the bench right the way towards uh, Rob Herring making the last steal uh, on the on the last play of the ball. Like it was just huge influence, huge experience of the guys come in, and they just saw it through. Um, it was something that Munster will really. Uh, will really be disappointed because there was a full 60 minutes within that game where they didn't score in any shape or form and that's, you know, it's just not good enough considering again, like Connacht, Munster were heading into this game undefeated and wanted that to continue and Ulster haven't had a good run against Munster for quite a long time so this probably a little bit wasn't to be expected people thought that Munster probably would have travelled up there even if it was up and up in Belfast to get the win but wasn't to be the senior players coming back for Ulster massive massive effect in the game and uh, Ulster saw it through How impressed have you been with Jacob Stockdale four try of the season and like that's a man who's obviously hoping for a big season considering the uh, competition for places at, at national level Yeah look Jacob Stockdale's issues have nothing to do with his scoring prowess he is one of those guys, as we all remember when he exploded on the international scene, he, he was scoring tries for fun. He's a big, big man, fast, superb eye for the game, coordination to beat the band, and uh, superb nose for a try. It's His issues are, are otherwhere, following defensive patterns, doing the, doing the right decision in defence. And, yeah, as you just said, his, his the, the, the competition there is huge. But if he keeps scoring tries like that, he has to get back on the radar. He most certainly does. Shane, it was an entertaining weekend. Thanks for taking our call. We ran long on soccer, so we have to go a bit tight on rugby. We've another quick break to take. Game on on 2FM. Now, Ireland's defeat to France in the Women's Euro Basket 2025 qualifiers was comprehensive and not unexpected, but for Jessica Scannell returning to the international scene after a 14-year absence was a very special moment over the weekend. She was speaking to RT Sports' Greg Allen at the National Basketball Arena. Jessica, 14 years I think since you wore the singlet, the green singlet what, what was this like? Because they're one of the best teams around in the world, number 7 in the world, and you had a good game certainly in that first quarter. Yeah, look it was it was tough, no doubt about it, like their pressure, to be honest, you, you can't really feel it unless you're out there you know, they're all super athletic and they're just all over us, so I was a bit disappointed personally in my own turnovers, but I think aside from that, you know, we really battled. Like that first quarter, I, I kind of was like, oh, maybe we can win this thing, to be honest, because just that's the effort that Irish teams always put out. And um, I'm just so proud to be part of it and, and, and back in the team again with like a young group of girls. Um, 
yeah, probably one of the most special moments of my basketball career, to be honest, um, even though it was a tough loss. But you know what? That's the level we want to be playing at. Like, France are number seven in the world. So, you know, if we want to get better as a basketball country, these are the teams we need to play. And I'm honestly just so proud of everyone's efforts, to be honest. You're now an Australian citizen. You've won cup medals at under 18, under 20, and senior level in Ireland more than a decade ago. This must be wonderful for you to put on that singlet again after 14 years. Yeah, it's really so special. To be honest, I didn't think I would get to put it on again. You know, I've been away for a long time. I'm 34 now. Um, so to receive the call-up from James, James was actually my under-18 coach back in the day um, for the Irish team's underage. Um, so to be back playing for him and, and in this arena as well, as you mentioned, you know, we won a lot of stuff with Glanmire in this arena, so it's a really special place for me to play. Um, yeah, just so grateful, to be honest. You should come home more often. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Just overall, the impression of playing the world number seven ranked team, obviously being heavily beaten, but being competitive for the period that you were, especially in that fourth, first quarter, you know, almost leading them in the first quarter. What was that like? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, to be honest, I was so encouraged by our young players when they got on the on the court. Um, you know, the Hickeys and Cara um, and also Lauren Holman. Like, I just love, like, those girls are, you know, not even 20, some of them. And for them to come out and match their physicality, as you mentioned, France are number seven in the world. They're a team of full professional basketball players. Um, and for Patches there, we really competed and we really looked like we belonged on that court. And especially the young ones, when they stepped on, they did not take a backward step. So I'm really encouraged for the future of Irish basketball. Getting to play teams like that shows us what we need to do and where we need to get to. Um, so yeah, just super excited. Really special moment for the game in, in Ireland, I think. And even in defeat. Very special day for you though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really, really is. A little emotional there, isn't it? Yeah, it is emotional. Um, as I said, you know, dreamed of playing for Ireland as a kid and got to do that when I was really young, but then my travels with going to college and playing professionally took me to the other side of the world and, and uh, I, I didn't think I'd get to put on the jersey again, so it's, um, yeah, probably one of the most special moments of my career. Well, Jessica Scanlon has described what an occasion it was for her at the weekend, and I'm delighted to say that James Weldon, Irish coach, joins us on the line as well. James, thanks for taking our call. Jessica described, said that that's the level we want to be playing at. Do you think you can get to that level, James? Yeah, I think so, Ruby. I think, um, you know, the more games we can get the more friendly games during the summer that we can get um, will definitely bring us up to that level and you know when you're in those games you're you're just trying to extend the periods that you can stay in the game against that type of quality uh, opposition so like we, we, we play France away um, it's quite spread out it'll be kind of February the year after next uh, 2025 but you know we we we'll be kind of aiming to be much closer the next time we play them and, and you know it's kind of those gradual steps you take uh, with each of those games um, now the, the plus of yesterday you know obviously it was a heavy defeat in the end but I, I think like other kind of mid-range countries are slightly ahead of us ranking wise uh, or middle of between between 7 and in the 80 teams in, in that kind of 30 to, to, to um, 25 or, or beyond you know, they would have been looking at the, the quarter score yesterday and seeing how competitive we were. And so, so like, it, it kind of sells um, the friendly opportunities better for us during the summer. And uh, I think that'll be a vital part of, of the further develop, development of the team. As a coach, what's the 
primary learning that you'll take from that that match over the weekend? Yeah, I suppose the primary thing is like you know we 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 turned the ball over against kind of huge pressure. We we turned it over twenty nine times, and you know we we chatted about that right after the game in the in the locker room. That you know I suppose the domestic league is it's a very strong league, um, you know, but not quite at the level that most of these players that we're playing against are playing at. So the pace and the physicality are and size are, are two of the main things and the pressure that Jessica referenced in the interview, like, you know, that even Jessica playing in the second league in Australia, which is a very, very high level, she found that hard going, you know. So I think, like, you know, I suppose if we can kind of, you know, improve the domestic league over time, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but, you know, kind of get, you know, the, the, the standard of the domestic league up uh, a little bit or... You know, the other option is that, you know, we we have more players going down the professional route. There's probably never as many players going to college now um, in Irish basketball between men's and women's. Um, you know, so all those players that are in college are unavailable for the international windows because uh, they're in season with their colleges. But we've we've done quite a good bit with with them and keeping them in touch. Um, you know, with the summer program, we've always had a kind of an extended plan, panel over the past two or three summers, and you know we've we've involved them in the friendly games so that it's a, a kind of a smooth transition when you know the players become available for for the um, Eurobasket windows. Okay, well, we wish you all the best, James. Unfortunately, time is against us. We're going to have to leave the conversation there, but um, many congratulations with the uh, performance over the weekend and no doubt we will be chatting uh, again in due course. And thanks as well for, for taking the call last week and the build-up uh, to the match. So we'll be interested to see the, the rise and rise of Irish uh, basketball. Ruby, that is all we've time for. It is. For. Unfortunately, we got too giddy on the Irish soccer and forgot about basketball. And sure, look, Ir- the Irish soccer goes. season is over now, so we will be concentrating on basketball and plenty of other sports uh, in due course. Uh, that is all we've time for. Ruby, thank you. Thanks uh, to John Farrell, um, our producer, Laurie Davis, as well, who's worked on the show. Thanks to all our contributors and indeed for those who have tuned in. Better De Silva is up next, so do stay tuned to 2FM. But from all of the Game On team, myself and Ruby will be back from 6 tomorrow.